got talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to what I like to describe as the failing Buckeye Talk podcast because people said terrible things about us in the comments on iTunes again. So we'll try to do better. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. And we're going to talk about the first day of Ohio State spring practice on Wednesday. And we're going to try it on the mic. I like having a microphone in front of my face because it makes me feel important. But we're going to have to pass this microphone back and forth as we sit in the faucet center. Although someone said, don't talk so much about where you're doing the podcast from. That was one of the comments that I was talking about like, like where we were. So maybe I should do less description and get right down to the business of football. Steven Means, how you doing? I'm great. And at some point in this this pod week, um, midweek podcast, I just like I looked at the comments too and like somebody really got on me about like my dog story. And so at some point I just wanna like clarify some things with this dog. Because let's just do that now and get it out of the way. No, well, see, I think we might lose them. I think if we do like five minutes of solid dog story at the top, when people are dying about football, I think I think they want football. So also, I don't want to hold the mic to your face. I want to hand you the mic so you can hold it yourself. Is that all right? Yeah, that's that's perfectly fine. All right, we'll see if this works or not. All right, we're going to get right to your questions because we asked you guys before practice started what you were most interested about so we watched about an hour of practice on wednesday we have videos up at cleveland.com we got the stories up at cleveland.com but uh, one of the things i asked was like who are you most interested about so we're going to deal with that as we sort of run through what we saw and what we talked uh, to ryan day about we also talked to kj hill jk dobbins and jonathan cooper after practice so we'll start with cole van o2 this is buckeye talk Follow us on Twitter at Doug Lemery's at Stephen underscore means at Buckeye Talk Pod. Colvan 2, what position will Brendan White play? Will he be a hybrid linebacker safety? So the answer, Stephen, is that he's going to play like 10 different positions. So Stephen and I divided up uh, practice. He watched more of the offense. I watched more of the defense. So I'll take this defense question for now. He'll handle most of the offense questions. But Brendan White was clearly playing two completely different positions, which is just fascinating to me because as they move toward this linebacker safety hybrid position, and I asked Ryan Day about that specifically at the end of practice, if that's what they're moving to with this defense. And I think a point needs to be made. I talked to a Michigan writer this week who was explaining that, yes, that's what Michigan has run the past couple of years. They've run this defense with this Viper position that Jabril Peppers played. It is a hybrid linebacker safety but that is not what Greg Madison did at Michigan when he was the defensive coordinator. That's what Don Brown brought to Michigan when he became the defensive coordinator. Then Greg Madison was sort of demoted to defensive line coach, and he would, did not have coordinator responsibilities. So if you think that, that the Viper position is like a Greg Madison thing, it, will, it would be because he absorbed it over the last several years at Michigan, not because that's what he did initially. So I think that was an important point to make, that this is not necessarily in Greg Madison's blood. But Ryan Day said they're thinking about it, basically. When you think about that position, he said they're considering it. They're trying to figure out where their personnel best fits into what kind of scheme. And the only thing that Ryan Day is committed to defensively is playing four down linemen, um, which is even interesting to think about that they would have considered going to any kind of 3-4. But basically in the offseason, Larry Johnson said, we have too many good defensive linemen. We can't only have three on the field. We need four on the field. So that makes sense. But there could be a world where where they are playing two true linebackers and then this hybrid safety 
linebacker position. But at the moment, from what we saw in practice, it just looks like an outside linebacker. So Brendan White was playing that, but when he played it, he was playing the same position that Pete Warner had been playing on the rep before. So we have not seen enough. They have not defined enough to us to let us understand what the true difference to them would be between an outside linebacker and a Viper position guy. And really, I mean, Pete Warner and Brendan White, how, how much different are those guys if you're saying you're taking a linebacker off the field to put this hybrid spot on? So the other thing is Brendan White's playing deep safety in some looks. He can't be both of those. He can either be the linebacker hybrid or he can be a deep safety. They can't expect him to be both. So they're figuring out where he fits. He's maybe the most interesting guy on the team right now because he was so good last year when he got a chance and he's playing two different positions. But I think we need to see how this defense evolves and how his position evolves because there is a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Tim Buckley at Tim Buckley 98 Always the most interesting guy is run DMC. Can we get the ball to Demario McCall? Also curious as to what we will see out of Jalen Gill. What kind of role will he have in the offense this year? So that's an offense question. I will hand the mic to my partner, Stephen Mead, and then probably Stephen knowing me by now, I'll probably pull the mic out of his hands after 15 seconds and start blathering, and then my uh, Stephen can hit me in the head with the microphone. But for now, um, what are you thinking about Demario McCall? And there's a point that has to be made right off the bat with him. Okay, off the bat, we, we didn't see him practice today. The first unit, obviously, was J.K. Dobbins getting a lot of those carries, and the second unit was a rotation of a lot of the other running backs, mostly Marcus Crowley getting those. We didn't see Demario McCall <clears throat> excuse me, or Master Teague today. I don't, n- neither one of them practiced. But as we've kind of said this entire, you know, last couple of months here, DeMario McCall's role most likely is the third down back and like receiving situations where it's a clear like passing situation because as Ryan Day stated today, J.K. Dobbins is going to be the man. He's going to get the bulk of the run, of the actual carries for runs. We'll see DeMario McCall get a few runs here or there, but for the most part, his role is probably going to be a third down type of guy in situations where you know it's clear that they're passing the ball. I, I thought that that's what it would be. The idea, and you guys can go read the story um, that that Stephen put up on Wednesday afternoon about J.K. Dobbins talking not just to Ryan Day. Stephen's the guy who asked Ryan Day about J.K. Dobbins' role, but then also talking to J.K. Dobbins about it. Um, the, the idea that they shared the last two years, that's because they had the guys that required them to share. But if there was any doubt, if anybody had any doubt about what the tailback situation is going to look like, the doubt ended today. J.K. Dobbins is the guy. And then then the second tailback becomes much less important because J.K. Dobbins might be getting 25 carries, and so 27 carries, maybe 30 carries. So then, okay, whether it's Master Teague as a traditional second tailback, whether it's Demario McCall in the third down role, that'll get sorted out. But when you asked him that question, Stephen, the answer that you got, that he's the man, is that what you were expecting or were you a little surprised by that? To be honest, as much as like we've talked about that, I was a little surprised that he was after day one of spring practice being saying that. I'm thinking that over time it would be okay. They would come to that conclusion that okay, we're just gonna ride out with J.K. Dobbins and then throw another guy in there as like a third down type of guy. But to come straight out with it, like almost how when we talked about the QB situation, how we wanted them to handle that, that's exactly how they handle J.K. Dobbins' situation. It's, there's no question. There's not, not going to be a debate about it. They're going to treat him this spring as if everything is to get ready for the fall. They're not going to run him 
downhill the entire time this spring. They're going to try to rest him up and get him in, in a position where he's got the conditioning and the strength to be able to put up with the fact that he might carry the ball 30 times per game. And I was surprised to see that he came right out with that after one day of practice where even watching J.K. Dobbins, he got reps with the ones, but they weren't like a hard reps. It seemed a lot more like you saw the rotation of the other guys seeming like they're trying to develop other guys more and they're focused on what J.K. Dobbins can bring them in the spring. I think there's strategy to that. I think Ryan Day wanted to come out publicly, and I'm sure he said the same thing to J.K. Dobbins. He knows J.K. Dobbins was not his best last year, and we've talked about it on this podcast. J.K. Dobbins was not as good last year, and, and, and we ran through his yards per carry. His yards per carry was like three yards per carry less than as a freshman, and I think someone someone yelled at me about that, but it, it's just facts. So, the, And the numbers backed up what your eyes told you, that he just – there were times – I still think he's good at slithering through a hole – but he wasn't as much of a playmaker as he was um, as a freshman. And, and it's like part of that was the RPO stuff. Part of that was not having a running quarterback. And, again, you talked about all that kind of stuff with him that it, it really changed for him last year. And it's going to change back in a lot of ways this year. But I think Ryan Day is attacking that head on. And just like last year when we saw that Urban Meyer sort of I felt and I think Dwayne felt it too, went out of his way to not praise Dwayne Haskins because he knew Dwayne Haskins didn't need it. I think Urban Meyer's strategy was let's tamp down Dwayne Haskins because Dwayne Haskins knows he's good. I think Ryan Day is doing the exact same thing the opposite way with J.K. Dobbins. Let's pump up J.K. Dobbins because if he had any doubts that he was good, he is good, and we want him to know that, and we need him to be more like freshman J.K. Dobbins than sophomore J.K. Dobbins. So, yeah, I'm going to come out the first day of spring practice, however many months it is until the season starts, and I'm going to tell the world that J.K. Dobbins is the man because I think J.K. Dobbins needs to hear his coach say that he's the man. Yeah, because even in talking to him today, he was really hard on himself about the season he had last year. Now, he was he also recognized the fact that, hey, I'm, I wasn't used to the fact that every other series I'm not going to be on the field. And so at times maybe I was hard pressing at things I should have been hard pressing at because I don't know when my next carry is going to be because this might be my last series depending on how the game is going and so on and so forth. So he was really hard on himself and obviously said things like, you know, I'm going to get better this year and yada, yada, yada. But he didn't seem like – he seemed like last year, you know, really kind of took a shot at his confidence because it wasn't the type of year that – like we were maybe expecting him to have, but more importantly, he was expecting him to have because he was so focused on how bad he was last year. It's like, hey, man, you had a pretty good true freshman season. Like we know you can do that. So like you know, last year was bad, but also the circumstances of of why that happened kind of makes sense on why you had that type of year. The offense was more geared towards Dwayne Haskins' arm than it was geared towards your legs. You had to share it with an, a lot of your carries with another guy. There's no guy to do. There's there's no reason to yank you off the field this year like there was last year. Yeah, so I, I wasn't surprised. I thought this was the way this would go, but I think I think you're right, Stephen. I mean, this is I like it. I like I like I like that J.K. is mad about last year, but I like that they're coming out right away and saying it's going to be different. Ron Conrad, at Ronnie Conrad is what his friends call him on Twitter. What were the differences of a Ryan Day-led spring practice versus an Urban Meyer-led spring practice? Did it look, feel different, or just, or the same, just different person in charge? It's the same, man. Like, I am, I continue to be uh, somewhat shocked about how same this is. And there was a video that Ohio State's um, 
Twitter account put out the other night about their champions dinner, which is what they do at the end of winter workouts. If you if you hold yourself to a certain level uh, and meet some thresholds in your off-field behavior, in your workout behavior, academically, you're a champion and you get to come eat a nice meal. And and Ryan Day uh, addressed the team in this video. They showed it. They don't get let us watch this kind of stuff. But he was saying it was all the mantras of the Urban Meyer era. It's all the same. Everything about today, the music they played at the start, the way they stretched, the drills. I mean, it really seemed almost exactly the same to me. There are a couple things that stood out. And, and when Ryan Day was asked about this and everyone was kind of going down this road of like, what's different? What's different? What's new? What's the same? And he said, well, the defense is different, <laughs> which is like, oh, you mean the, the thing that was terrible? Yeah, that's different. So th like his answer of like what's different in the, in the program is like I fired the whole defensive staff practically. So they did have some things there. They had the linebackers split up uh, in two separate units during drills, inside backers, outside backers. I hadn't really seen that before to my knowledge. Larry Johnson on the D-line was same old Larry Johnson. And by the way, we can talk about this, but you know who didn't come over during the D-line drills at all? Greg Madison. That's LJ. That's Coach J territory. Greg Madison and Al Washington divided up the linebackers. And then Jeff Halfley and Matt Barnes divided up the secondary. Jeff Halfley is the secondary coach. Matt Barnes is the assistant secondary coach. But when we saw him, Halfley had the corners. Barnes had the safeties. And then Larry Johnson, you do your thing because you do it better than anybody else in the country. So it, it, it is almost crazy to me that I don't know that anything is different than what it was when Ryan Day was the coach for three games which is I'm the interim coach. Of course, I'm not changing anything. Urban Meyer's the coach. I'm the interim coach. I know he's not the interim coach, but so far it almost feels like that. And, and Ryan Day would probably push back against that because maybe there's things happening internally we don't know. And he, he made the point of saying it will gradually evolve over time. But if we're asking on day one of spring practice what felt the same, my answer is like nothing felt different at all everything felt the same so um i don't know i i don't mean to get obsessed with that but i'm 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 moderately obsessed with that yeah the one thing i noticed from the moment like i walked into the woody hayes facility and walked out to you know where the indoor practice facility part is is all the new guys have black stripes and that we all know that's something that urban meyer introduced from the moment he got here was New guys, you wear black stripes, and you got to earn the right to be a Buckeye pretty much. And you saw it on Justin Fields and Garrett Wilson and Zach Harrison and Jacoby and on down the list of all the new Buckeyes who still had the black stripes. I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's pretty cool that they're still doing that. But at the same time, it's almost as if, you know, Urban Meyer did a lot of things here as far as from a tradition standpoint, culture standpoint. Is, 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 is he, like, is they going to have to, like, find something that's, like, not there in order to, like, put his imprint on, on this program? Because – it's not like Urban just added one thing. It's not like he just did the black stripes or just did the championship dinner or so on and so on down the list of all the things he did. He did a lot of different things to the point that it's almost as if he didn't really leave anything else for Ryan Day to do, which is why he continues to stick to that sentiment that, you know, we're going to continue to do a lot of the same things that Urban Meyer did when he was here. Obviously, I'll have my own identity here, but for a lot of things going to be the same. Maybe some of that is just simply Urban did so much. There's really nothing for him to do. I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, but, like, Tress had a lot of stuff in place here, and yet Urban managed to flip a lot of stuff on its head, you know. So, like, Ryan Day will find it, but, um, 
It, he, he didn't find it. He didn't find it before the first practice of spring. I'll tell you that. Uh, let's delve into the offensive line a little bit. Mark Roberts at Mark44Roberts, who has become a very loyal listener and tweeter. Want to know how the O-line looks. I think the entire season will come down to how the offensive line plays. He also wanted to know about the differences between Urban and Ryan Day, and we covered that. And he also asks, have you caught Greg Madison with a spy camera yet? Um, do you agree with with Mark's statement, Stephen, that I think the entire season will come down to how the offensive line plays? Kind of. Um, someone, put, someone made a point that was was uh, made a point to me that like uh, last week you said something and I was like, well, I disagree with that, and I'm not trying to be like I disagree with that. So I'm going to say first, um, I don't agree with Mark. I don't think this whole season comes down to the offensive line. And now I will let you answer however you would like to answer. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to say. There is a large portion that depends on what this line is going to look like as the season progresses, yes. But it's also not the only new thing here we're dealing with. You're dealing with a new quarterback. You're dealing with a lot of new receivers, and the ones that are returning, a lot of them are inexperienced. So from an offensive standpoint, I think I kind of agree in a sense that, like, yeah, like there's a lot of unanswered questions here as far as, like, who's going to end up being the starters on the line and, whether this line's going to be any good or not, but just to simply say the entire season's going to ride on how successful or unsuccessful the offensive line is, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I, I think it's not because I think that's, and we talked about this last week, that's not in the Justin Fields podcast that someone uh, in the comments on iTunes described as like just two guys sitting around talking about Ohio State for two hours. I was like, yeah, well, that's what this podcast is. Um the comments are getting to me. I'm I'm losing my confidence, and I'm probably going to shut the podcast down. No, I'm just kidding. So the question is, um, like someone asked, what matters more, weapons or offensive line? And I just think we we both agree that it's weapons, it's weapons, it's weapons. So so I can't say. I mean, I think last year the offensive line mattered a lot, and you saw how well the offensive line played in the Michigan game. Um, for as much as Ohio State picked Michigan apart in that game. A huge part of it was because the offensive line gave Dwayne Hastings the time to do that. And they did get the ball out quick sometimes. But that offensive line, and we wrote about it then, did a tremendous job in that game. Justin Fields is going to just bail you out of more situations. So I'm going to play this game with you now, Stephen. This game is called, Who is the most important person on the offense other than Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, and K.J. Hill? So KJ Hill, we talked to today. I mean, if people don't remember about KJ Hill, that guy was their leading receiver two years ago. He was their second leading receiver last, second leading receiver last year. He's a sure thing. I'll write something about KJ Hill, but he he basically said when he left the Rose Bowl, he was pretty sure he was going pro, and then he changed his mind. And like that is a huge deal that he is back. Uh, even though Jalen Gill looked really good, and we'll get into Jalen Gill, but KJ Hill's a sure thing. J.K. Dobbins. Assuming he's at his best is a sure thing, and Justin Fields is the quarterback. But who is the next most important person on this offense? And there's maybe one or two obvious candidates there. But who 
do you think it is? Would you like me to give my answer first or so I'm going to, I'm going to say, and maybe this is obvious, but I'm going to say like not an offensive lineman because I'm going to say the guy, and you said this today, and maybe this I'm stealing your answer. Chris Olave looked like a, a game changer today. So Steven's throwing his hands in the air. So if you're agreeing with that, but again, like I'm not saying Thayer Munford. Left tackle is really important. But but I'm looking for an outside receiver who can change the game and be a number one guy for Justin Fields more than I'm looking on the offensive line. Yeah. Maybe last year I, I think an offensive line would have been a little bit more important because your quarterback – is literally like he has bricks on his feet, so I would understand that because you got a quarterback who's literally just trying to get rid of it. So you got to give him a little bit of time. I mean, we saw what happens when he gets a little bit of time against Michigan this year. When you've got a quarterback who has the ability to make plays with his legs a little bit more often and can improvise a little bit, it's, it, the most important people become your wide receivers because okay, when your quarterback starts improvising, you see that okay, now you've got to you know, kind of improvise a little bit to try to get open. Olave looked amazing today. He made some catches today where it's, okay, wow. He looked absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I'm going to say Chris Olave, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper and go Austin Mack. The wide receiver core in general, I think, is, like, outside of, like, K.J. Hill are probably the most important people just because of their overall development this year. Ben Victor and Austin Mack have been here, but obviously they haven't been, like, you know, the go-to receivers the last couple of years that they've been here. So, where are they at? Garrett Wilson, what's his development going to look like over the next couple of months here? So I think outside of you know Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins and K.J. Hill, the wide receiver corp in general I think is the most important part of this Ohio State offense. You know, along those lines, I, I forgot to get to the second part of Tim Buckley's previous question about Run DMC. Um, they sang a song, Stephen. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I have a Run DMC shirt at home. I know exactly who Rev Run is. Yeah, but Dwayne Haskins wore a friend shirt, and he had no idea who Chandler was. So don't start dropping, I have a shirt. I have a shirt doesn't mean that you know anything about the thing. No. He knows what the show Friends is. That's like, but I don't like, I don't, obviously I know like the classic songs from Run DMC. But like if you ask me some deep cut from their first album, I'm probably not going to know that. But he knows what Friends is. And he knows that's an iconic like American show. But, like, no, he doesn't know who Joey and Chandler are. I just think everyone should know who Chandler is. Um, Run DMC did a song with Aerosmith together as friends. Isn't that nice? When two groups can get together and hang out. I thought it was nice. Tim Buckley says, also curious as to what we will see out of Jalen Gill. So, in talking to KJ Hill today... Someone sort of mentioned the idea of, oh, like, is the H-back spot one like the deepest position on the team? And KJ Hill was like, no. And I was like, yeah, it's it's definitely not. And I think the person asking it was was kind of lumping Demario McCall in at the H-back. And Demario McCall is not an H-back. Demario McCall is a running back. And the H-backs right now are KJ Hill, great, Jalen Gill, and CJ Saunders. So... We've been down this road. C.J. Saunders is a hardworking guy. It's just hard for me, for any guy who's a former walk-on, he's now on scholarship. If To me, if he's playing instead of Jalen Gill or any of these other four or five-star guys in the roster, something's gone haywire. So Jalen Gill is the backup H. And Jalen Gill, a lot of people liked what he showed um, 
in its first spring practice. This is a guy. This this is a this is how you do it at Ohio State. And and the idea that Jalen Gill came in last year, I think you know he was a guy necessarily in high school. You figured he'd be H, but maybe they'd work him in running back somehow. He sits. He red shirts behind KJ Hill and Paris Campbell, who share the H back spot and are awesome. Paris Campbell goes. I mean, he had to. He's a fifth-year guy. And now Jalen Gill is here. He's going to play, but he's backing up fifth-year guy in K.J. Hill. If K.J. Hill would have left, all of a sudden Jalen Gill becomes your best H, or maybe you keep DeMario at H, but now who's your second tailback? The, the, K.J. Hill staying, which, I, again, I thought I would thought it was a surprise. I told K.J. Hill this. He and I talked about this at the Rose Bowl, and we, he, he walked into the Lowry's Beef Bowl. They have a beef bowl, a beef bowl in Hollywood. They go eat bowls. No, they go eat beef. They go eat beef. He got off the bus. He was wearing sunglasses. And I said, you look like a guy who's going pro. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, you wore sunglasses to the beef bowl. He just, he's walking around Hollywood like he owns the place. I said, that's not a guy. That's not a guy coming back to college. That's a guy ready for the next level. And he said, crazy old man, shut up. Now, he did, he said that with his eyes. But he, I think he was mentally gone, and and like not mentally gone, like he didn't try hard in the Rose Bowl, but like no, I think I mean he walked off that field at the Rose Bowl thinking I'm done playing college football, and he changed his mind. And you think about the roster ramifications of is Jalen Gilliard number one H, who's your number two guy, versus now it works perfectly. KJ Hill one, Jalen Gill learns behind him number two. Maybe they split the snap 70-30. I said to KJ Hill, "Are you going? Did you tell him I'm I'm not coming off the field? You know, last year you and Paris kind of shared it equally, but you you were both on the same footing." He's like, "No, no, I don't. Need, I I got to get a break. You know, we we run a lot of plays. Um, you need a second guy there at that spot. I think it's going to be great. Now it won't be as good as Paris and KJ because that was an unbelievable combo at H back. They're the two leading receivers on the team. Paris Campbell might have run himself into the first round of the NFL draft with the four three one he dropped to the combine." Paris Campbell is is rare, rare size speed combo, and I wrote about that at the combine. Rare. He ran the fastest forty at the combine by a receiver weighing more than at least two hundred pounds since Darius Hayward Bay in two thousand nine. That is how rare his size speed package is. So Jalen Gill doesn't have to be Paris Campbell, but I think he's set up perfectly behind KJ Hill, and he flashed. When you flash on day one of spring practice, your first day to get to be something. That means something. So so am I starting to talk about Jalen Gill? Am I getting some DeMario inflection in my voice about Jalen Gill? Yeah, I am. Do I want to see Jalen Gill and DeMario McCall on the field together, one at tailback and one at H-back? Oh, yeah, I do. Jalen Gill is a five-star kid. He's a five-star kid who could have gone anywhere in the country. He looked around hard, evaluated his options. He's from Westerville. Decided to go to Ohio State, and I think Jalen Gill is a guy who absolutely can go from red shirt to the first time I get on the field, my first year on the field at Ohio State, I do stuff. Westerville South has been really good to Ohio State lately in a multitude of sports. But, look, I think K.J. Hill coming back, what that does is that, you know, if you're just going to throw Jalen Gill out there as the, in the first unit from day one, without really a lot of experience, I think that's a scary sight to, to think about. So I think 
from that standpoint, I, is why KJ Hill is so important. It's the sim- simple fact of what he said, what he said to you today. You know, no, like it's it's not deep at this position. So I think him coming back helps that. Outside of you know, Jalen Gill, yeah, he had a solid day as well. Like this all boils back down to the overall picture here. Why the wide receiver position in general is probably the most important position on that offense, because there's a lot more questions than answers right now. Um, outside of KJ Hill, including Jalen Hill, Gill, I'm sorry, he can have a great season, but he can also flop and not be ready for that moment. So, like I said, why would like no? I'm not gonna. I don't agree with that guy. Um, what was his name again? Who asked the question about? Offensive lineman being the most important position. I don't agree with that at all anymore. Because, yeah, <laughs> the wide receiver position is the most important position at this point. Yeah, right. Receivers are uh, important. Um, Peter Kapastasi. Pete Capo. He asks about Brendan White moving to the hybrid and says, is Jordan Fuller going to be at risk of trying to do too much like last season? Um, I don't know what happened to Jordan Fuller last season. And I think Jordan Fuller would, would sort of fall in line a little bit with the J.K. Dobbins kind of stuff where like you showed you were good and then like you came back and you kind of weren't as good as you were before. I think Draymond Jones had that kind of year. Um, in 2017, he thought he was going to be great. He had some injuries. He he wasn't as good as he thought he'd be. Then he came back in 2018, and he was as good as he thought he'd be. So I think that's a part of I'd love to talk to Jordan Fuller about coming back. I'm sure that's part of Jordan Fuller coming back, that that you, you don't want to go out on a year where you don't think you played at your best. But um, Alex Grinch, as a one-year safeties coach, I think holds some culpability with that. I mean, there's a lot of people around college football who love Alex Grinch, and he's a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma now making a bazillion dollars, and I get it. But the safeties didn't play great last year, and so he was the safeties coach. And so, um, you know, I think I'm going to put that much less on Jordan Fuller and much more on Greg Schiano and Alex Grinch and their inability to get more out of him. because he's a great player, and he is he is like academic, all Big Ten, academic, all American kind of level stuff. Like, never one one bit of a question about his work ethic or any of that kind of stuff. So when a guy like that isn't quite as good, I'm going to blame the coaches. And we can get into some coaching stuff. I want to talk about some Greg Schiano stuff and a Bill Davis story from the Combine. But I, I don't think there's going to be a risk of doing too much. I think they have – I wrote in my defensive breakdown, and we did offensive and bre- defensive breakdowns. You guys can go read them at cleveland.com. I think at the other safety spot, be- between whatever happened with Brendan White, Josh Proctor, um, who was the other guys? Sean Wade. See, he, that was off mic. Here, say it again. Sean Wade, Isaiah Pryor. Isaiah Pryor. So between Wade, Pryor, Proctor, and White, they're going to find a solution there. And and if they decide Brendan White's going to stay at safety, then I think then he's probably the answer. I, I really like Sean Wade. I like Sean Wade at nickel corner, but it seems like if he's going to be more of a safety this year, I think that's a great answer. And Josh Proctor, whose dad uh, jumped into the uh, uh, Twitter comments, when someone responded earlier uh, this week when I said, who are you looking for? And someone said, Josh Proctor, is he more of a, like a cover guy or more of a big hitting safety? And Josh Proctor's dad jumped in and said, both. And I was like, that's a dad. I like that. So I hope he listens because I'm high on Josh Proctor. I'm very high on Josh Proctor. Um, but I'm also high on Sean Wade. And you know what? It showed me something that, that Isaiah Pryor, 
who I think got caught in between a little bit last year, got caught in a tough spot. Again, I'm going to put it on coaching. Um, they asked him as a young guy to come in and play, and they had some issues at safety when he was starting there. That Isaiah, Isaiah Pryor was out there a lot with the ones on the first day of spring practice, and that shows me that Isaiah Pryor, if his season last year didn't go exactly the way he wanted it to go, he didn't go into a shell. He put himself in a position with winter workouts to be out there running with the ones sometimes in the first day of spring practice, and I think Isaiah Pryor deserves some credit for that. So I am expecting that the safety position – I thought the whole thing last year was Jordan Fuller went from great to good, and the other position was a mess for a lot of the year. I think Jordan Fuller goes back to great, and I think they absolutely find a a good option among those other guys because I think um, they are all guys that, in their own way, have a shot to really do something here. Pete's, Pete Kapotsky's, uh other question is about Jonah Jackson as the player he's most curious about. And so he said where he slots in guard or center would seem to dictate how much of the line, how much of the offensive line will shape up. Um, explain where we are with Jonah Jackson. Okay, so as we all know, Jonah Jackson has officially transferred to Ohio State, but he will not be joining the team until the summertime. So as of right now, the Ohio State's line is down there, Munford, who is out for an injury for injury reasons for the enti- for pretty much the entire spring practice and without Jonah Jackson because he will not be here <clears throat> until the summertime. So because of that, let me get on my trusty little Here is what your offensive line looks like. Right tackle, Brandon Bowen, right guard, Wyatt Davis, center, Josh Myers. Uh left guard. Gavin Cup, and today left tackle was Joshua Alibi, Alibi, but we all know that's going to be Thera Mumford, so we're just going to pin that, pin that one in. But Jonah Jackson will, I mean, he's the guy with experience, so like we'll guess that he'll probably start as well. But as of right now, Gavin Cup is the guy who was getting the first string reps today in the first day of practice. So right now, the left side of that line is is a little. You know, there's some uncertainty there because outside of Thayer Mumford, you're not really sure who else is going to be starting on that left side. Uh, Wyatt Davis has got some experience, and Brandon Bowen have got some experience, so I wouldn't be surprised to see those two end up being the starters on the right side. And Josh Myers looks like he's going to be a starter at center. So they had Bowen at tackle today at that right tackle spot, as you mentioned, Stephen, and and that's the that's the swing that I think if Jonah Jackson wasn't here, I think they'd have to have Bowen at guard, and all of a sudden the right tackle spot really becomes a battle between Nicholas Petit Frere and Joshua Allaby because I, I, I don't know who else it would be. Gavin Cup's working there now. Um, I, I just think with with Brandon Bowen being a guy who had won the starting spot at a guard spot two years ago, he would have to be the guy you'd be looking to start at guard opposite Wyatt Davis. Jonah Jackson being here allows you to play Bowen at tackle, which is where I think Bowen wants to be. And now Bowen can fight with Alibi and Petit Frere for the right tackle spot. That makes you deep at tackle. He's a swing guy still. I think I think there might be a world where even if Bowen wins the right tackle spot, he's also your third guard. That you, They always talk about the sixth guy, and it's about getting if, – if you have an injury on the line, you put in your sixth offensive lineman and then adjust as you need to. I think Bowen becomes the swing guy that, you know, if if Myers gets hurt, then maybe you move Jonah Jackson from guard to center, you put Bowen at guard, and then you put Alibi or Petit Freire in a tackle. You know, if a guard gets hurt, you put Bowen at guard. If the tackle gets hurt, maybe – you know, Alibi could go to left tackle, but Bowen's still there. The Bowen's going to be on the field, I think, no matter what. But I think the fact that it's just day one, but if he's at tackle, to me, is them 
penciling in Jonah Jackson at guard. Because if Jonah Jackson's not here, I'm not sure you can afford to play Bowen at tackle. So I thought that was a, the important part about the way that shook out today, even though Jonah Jackson is not going to be here uh, until guys report in the middle of June, and he will not really get into the fight until the preseason in August. Evan Eimel asking the, saying the Bucky he's mo, Buckeye he's most interested in is Baron Browning. Does he get one of the inside linebacker spots? I would love for it to be him on the outside and Tarada Mitchell in the middle. So listen, I have a Baron Browning story that literally I talked to him on media day at the Rose Bowl, and I still haven't written because I'm terrible at my job. But I was walking around uh, during practice uh, and saying everything's changed and I don't like it. So... I wasn't, I didn't, it was just weird to me to have the linebackers split up as much as they were. Um, and when they split the linebackers, here was the order that they went for the inside linebacker group. It was Tuff Borland, Justin Hilliard, Baron Browning, Tarada Mitchell. And I don't like it. I want Baron Browning on the outside, and I'm going to write this this week. He wants to be on the outside. And I asked Ryan Day about it and said, Baron Browning wants to be on the outside. And he said, yeah, we're moving guys around. We're still trying to figure stuff out. So I do believe the idea that there is a much more of a figure-out period here, with it, especially on the defense, with an entirely new defensive coaching staff. But I want Baron Browning on the outside flow into the ball. If that's where he wants to be, I think that's where you got to have him. And you have so many. If those are your three other options inside, Borland, Hilliard, and Mitchell, you're great in the middle. You don't need Baron Browning in there. You have Malik Harrison on the outside, but then you have Brendan White and, and Pete Warner and some of these other guys. Get Baron Browning in that mix. I'm obsessed with it. I think Baron Browning might be the list on, on the top of my list of most interesting guys this spring. And so I, I just was disappointed to see him lump with the inside linebackers, not because of what I think, but because I know that's not where he thinks he fits best. It's going to be interesting to watch the linebackers this year for a couple of reasons. One, because obviously they're changing a couple of things that mirror a little bit of what Michigan has done in the past. Two, because we know that was their weakest position last year. So I think over, it's going to be interesting to see how they use guys. I think, I don't know. I didn't get it. I didn't really get a chance to see, see the defensive guys as much. So I'll just leave it at that for now. I kind of handed you the mic because I was coughing. <laughs> Here, Steven. <laughs> And I also want to acknowledge that Keith Arnold at Arnold says said his most interesting position is linebacker. So, yeah, Stephen watched mostly offense. I watched mostly defense. So we're, we're going to lean that way in the podcast still. But so the point I want to make for Keith Arnold's question about the linebackers, I thought Tough Borland looked good. Whatever that means, I think Tough Borland last year was clearly not himself for for much a, a chunk of the year coming back from his injury. Um, I think he came back quick. I, I don't know that he rushed it, but I think he wasn't himself when he came back. I just thought he looked smooth and fluid and the way you want a middle linebacker to look. So I know in that championship, uh, that Champions Dinner video, you know, Mickey Marotti called Tough Borland the leader of the defense. So it's like, oh, you know, I've been very interested in Tarada Mitchell. Um, and let me acknowledge that Alan Kitchens, number one guy, a Kitchen 87, the guy he's interested in is Tarada Mitchell. I'm super interested in Tarada Mitchell. But when you have Tough Borland and Justin Hilliard working with the inside backers ahead of you, you know, I, I think there's a world where if they want to rotate a lot at linebacker, I think there are, there's a world where Tough Borland can be in on running downs and maybe on first down or clear passing downs. He's not going to be on the field, I think, 
uh, in like a nickel situation. And I think that's where Baron Browning's going to be in. I think whatever they do with this hybrid thing, if you get to a spot where in a nickel situation only two linebackers are on the field, I think they're going to be Baron Browning and Malik Harrison. So we already have that, but there might even be a world where on first down, maybe you'd have somebody other than Tuff Borland in there, except I think if you think he's the leader of the defense, he's got to be on the field. So I'm interested to see how that shakes out. I like this this group of second-year linebackers, Gant, Pope, Mitchell, there's a lot to like, but it, which is why it's interesting to watch this hybrid thing shake out because if all of a sudden a hybrid's playing a lot, you're taking a linebacker off the field. If all of a sudden you're throwing Brendan White into the linebacker mix, that's a returning starter from last year who's now in a group where you already had three returning starters at linebacker. So it's really interesting to watch. I do believe Ryan Day, and we, and we were sort of joking, are we allowed to ask Ryan Day defensive questions because Urban – was just never very good with the defensive questions. He just was clear that I'm the offensive guy, and if you have defensive questions, you can ask Greg Schiano. It's sort of like, well, Greg Schiano's not here. Ryan Day did take defensive questions, but but I, I believed him when he said, we are basically open to a lot of different things at linebacker, and I think they are going to spend at least half the spring trying to match personnel to scheme. And I think when they figure out the personnel, Greg Madison and Al Washington get a handle on the personnel, and they don't have it all the way yet. Then they'll figure out, well, are we going to do the hybrid thing? Or how often are we get? I think they they will try to get their best guys on the field, but that's why I think linebacker is so important. But I want Baron Browning to be out there. Lucas Picklesemer at Buckeye Talk Fan 1. How about that? Do you think with Ryan Day's NFL background, they'll move away from the H-back in upcoming years? Also, he's most interested in Nicholas Petit Frere and how his body has transitioned. Um, body transitions, I don't know if we got a good look at that. Some some reporters are really good at body transitions. Uh, I am not as good because a body – to me, a body is a body. You know what I'm saying, Stephen? Just like a body is a body. Like your body and my body are the same. Yours is young and and ripped. Mine is old and fluffy, but to me, they're exactly the same. So when I look out there and I say, is that guy 290 pounds or 230 pounds? To me, it's just a body. We're all made from the same cloth. So so for me to say, how does Nicholas Petit-Ferrer's body look, I would just say it's a body. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look, I don't (laughs) – it's just not a true statement at all. I'll say this. I'll speak on the Dobbins thing because he was asked about whether or not he had lost a couple pounds today for Do- the J.K. Dobbins. And he said he hadn't necessarily lost weight, but he'd lost uh, body fat percentage, which was lower. He didn't want to give us the exact amount, but he turned a little bit of his body fat into muscle, which is why he looked a little slimmer than he maybe looked last year. And to kind of go on this little rant, a body is a body. No, it's not, especially when you're talking about sports because – there are a lot of different reasons why a guy can be really good at this sport. You know, Zach Harrison's got really long arms. I can really help him as a defensive end. Because if he had really little itty-bitty you know, T-Rex arms, well, then he's probably not going to be a very good defensive end. So long and lanky guy at defensive end who's also got a little bit of speed to him and some power, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> Justin Fields, long legs, stride. That means he, uh, whether he's fast or not doesn't matter. After he gets out into it, out, after he transitions into basketball terms, after he gets out into the open field and he can just stride it out, and that that's going to help him a lot. J.K. Dobbins, if you know, before he was a little bit, you know, bulkier, 
but it just makes him more of a bowling ball, which is why he's fitting it through a lot of these holes. And he can muscle his way through them because he was a little bit more of a bowling ball. Ezekiel Elliott was kind of the same way. He was a bigger type of guy that allowed him to kind of take a little bit more punishment than some other guys could. It, it's, it's, with running backs, it's, it's clearly the, the difference between like a power type of back and a speed type of back. Usually, is speed backs are a little bit smaller, power backs are a little bit bigger. Speed backs, you want them to get outside. Power backs, you want them to stay inside. Yada yada yada. So there's yes, your body does matter, especially when you're playing sports. I just think the human form is beautiful, and if I'm in trouble for that, then so be it. Uh, two things I want to talk about: stories from the combine. So I was at the NFL Combine for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for four days last week. Uh, talked to Dwayne Haskins, talked to Paris Campbell, talked to Isaiah Prince, talked to Michael Jordan. Um, I didn't talk to every single guy. There are 10 Buckeyes there. I have a post up. You guys can go read, wrapping up the combine with all the pertinent numbers and my thoughts and the best quotes from those guys. Um, one thing was people, <laughs> when Nick Bosa spoke, and I have some Nick Bosa stuff I still want to write because I asked Nick Bosa about Zion, which I thought, was an interesting question. Yeah, in terms of like, here, say what you guys hit the mic. From Duke, that actually makes sense, though. Yeah, like being a potential number one pick and sitting out because you're hurt. Um, good question. Good, thoughtful question from a veteran sports writer. Average answer. It was average. But I, I want to write about that. But I thought Nick Bosa handled himself well, did a good job. But he was talking about. Um, Someone was saying about, you know, do you want to go to Arizona at number one? And he said, well, Bill Davis is in Arizona. And so to be – and I was like, are you – I'm at – I thought I was out. And here we go. So Bill Davis is a linebacker's coach for the Arizona Cardinals. And that would have Nick Bosa excited to be a Cardinal. Um, I'd be excited because it's lovely there. Cacti? I'd be more excited about the cacti than I would about playing for Bill Davis. The other thing was, so Greg Schiano was now the defensive coordinator of the Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. And so there were definitely, there's at least one, I think it was two different uh, New England Patriots reporters who were asking Ohio State players about Greg Schiano and what he's like as a coach. Good idea for a story, New England Patriots writers. I thought this answer was really interesting. And I think it gets to some issue potentially last year with the defense, and it makes me want to ask Ohio State defensive players about this. Draymond Jones said, they said, what's Greg Shiano like? Draymond Jones said he's almost like militaristic in his like stern, no-nonsense, eyes-on-me like coaching style. And Draymond did not say it in any kind of negative way. But it just felt to me like if that's what that defense felt like last year, that it was like being in the military and that like a sir, yes, sir, no, sir kind of thing, which like is great. But like if they weren't having that much fun, they are college kids. They're busting their butts. They're talented. They're out of Ohio State. They wouldn't be here if they weren't talented. And like that's the vibe they got off of that. I found that to be very interesting. And I think and Nick Bosa gave a similar answer in terms of Shauna was just like a no-nonsense kind of guy. And I will say, um, and there was a point last year, now when, we, when I reflect back on it, there was absolutely a point last year where the defense, people were talking about what's up, and they said, we went out today at practice, and the goal was to have fun. 
and we haven't been having fun, and like we wanted to make it a point to have fun. It was sort of like, oh, that's great. I'm glad you're having fun. But it's like if you have to like make it a point to have fun, I think you're a little lost already. So um, I'll be very curious to see what the vibe of this defense is this year because to me um, that didn't sound great. So, like, Stephen, when you hear that as someone who has played a higher level of sport uh, than I did, I've told my story about uh, shirts and skins, and also I think people didn't like that story either. Like, when you when you hear players say it was kind of like the military, can there be a good in that? Be like, man, like, we're on, we're on it? Or does that make you think, mm, that's not great? Yes, but there has to be a balance. I do remember that. Like, you should never have to, like, force somebody to have fun because – there's clearly a problem if, like, you have to, like, obviously coaches say it all the time. Hey, guys, remember, this is sports. Have fun. And that's one thing. But when you have to go out of your way to try to make something fun, there's probably something wrong with that. The, the whole military, military approach is, I mean, I guess it works in college a little bit. I, well, I guess it supposedly works in college because these are still kids and they're being coached by adults. Um, my question is, like, how does that work at the NFL level when, like, everybody's an adult and you have this no-nonsense? If it's not working with 18- and 19-year-olds, how do we expect it to work with 25-, 26-year-olds who are grown men with wives and kids and millions of dollars? I just I'm, – I'm not a – I'm a big fan of, of – I understand you're the authoritative figure, but there shouldn't be this, like – no nonsense. Like, you're dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-olds. It's going to be a lot of nonsense. I do think in the NFL, like, do your stinking job. You're getting paid millions of dollars for it. Can work. Maybe more effective than, like, a 20-year-old who's like, oh, I'm doing the best I can. You know, like, I, I, I just – you have to treat them – I mean, it is different, you know. They're grown men, and you can't just uh, order them around like they are in the military. But um, I think you – I think it's – I mean, it's just one's a job and one's being a kid in college. And I just do think there's a fine line, and I, I still want to talk to Ryan Day about this, like the idea of, hey, cool, we have NFL coaches. Our guys were in the league. They know how to get you there or whatever. It's like I don't, I don't think turning your college program into an NFL program is necessarily the best way to win, you know, and I don't think anyone's saying D- Dabo Sweeney's not didn't turn Clemson into a, an NFL program. They send guys to the NFL, but I think they have something going on there that feels very much like a college program. So, um, yeah, I just uh, didn't think it was great. Uh, the other part of Lucas Picklesemer's question: Do you think with Ryan Day's NFL background, they'll move away from the H back? I, I think that's really interesting, and now it makes me want to ask Ryan Day about that. He's not going to say that specifically, but I can't remember who it was. But there was a guy, somebody at the combine, the NFL coach was talking about how important the fullback is, and I was just like, man, that is just. But that's it's just it really is. It's it, it's almost as could this happen. The NFL is starting to look more like college. And we need to dig in this with Ryan Day because he talked about this today. Ryan Day was talking about we're looking for advantages, and this is relating to that he said they're going to go under center more, which a lot of fans are noting, and they'll be very excited to see a quarterback sneak. I bet you Justin Fields runs a good quarterback sneak, by the way. But Ryan Day, to me, seemed to indicate 
He said, we're going to look for every advantage, and I think it may have swung. It's like the NFL has swung a lot toward college-style offenses now. I wonder if the next reaction is college offenses swinging back toward looking like NFL offenses. And if Ryan Day feels like things have swung so far toward the spread, our advantage now becomes pro-style stuff, under center more when so many teams are shotgun only. Would they bring potentially like a fullback back in? I'm not. I'm not. That that's me speculating. There's no indication of that. But would they move away from the H back somehow? Now, I mean, people go trips all. The, I mean, it's like three receivers. That's no. Whatever you want to call your slot receiver, the slot receiver is a basic component of football. Um, but like the idea of, you know, that that in the Urban Meyer heyday, they handed the ball to the H back a lot and ran that Percy Harvin stuff. That that's not what it is at all. It's just a slot receiver and that they don't differentiate it that much. I, I was very curious about that under center thing because, to me, it maybe indicates Ryan Day's sort of pro-style NFL philosophy, and that could be an evolution here. Do you think – and, again, as we talk about what Ryan Day is going to evolve to and not change instantaneously, do you think part of that ev- evolution could be a somewhat significant shift in the way this offense looks? I think it starts – when you talk about evolution, you, you look at one position first, and it kind of spreads from there, and I think – the quarterback position in general in college football has kind of swung towards the more NFL-style approach where there are a lot of quarterbacks. There's a few quarterbacks in college football right now. Like, if you put them in a pro-style offense, I think they would be just as effective. Um, the jury still out on how good Justin Fields is or isn't, but from the feedback we've gotten and from the things we've done in our own research, I don't think either one of us feels like if – if Ohio, if he had come to Ohio State, and Ohio State was already running a pro style offense. He wouldn't, he would have any type of problem running that type of offense. So I think that's where it starts, and I think there is an evolution of going back towards the pro style offense. Florida State did it, sort of when they had Jameis Winston. They ran sort of a, a pro style offense, and they won a national championship doing it, and got to the, and were in the first college football playoff. Now they didn't win it, but they, you know, they were competing. So, uh, no, I wouldn't be surprised if you see that he- over the next few years kind of head back towards that style of a pro style just because you see quarterbacks who are already kind of – they have the skill set to have that, to run that type of offense. And when you have a uh, pro style offense, that brings in pro style quarterbacks, and it seems like that's what Ryan Day wants to do, that quarterbacks, um, if they think you can get into the league – They'll come play for you, and I think that's how Ryan Day feels like. That's how he thinks he wants to try to win. E. Bronstein, our guy, Eric Bronstein. Um, his the, the Buckeye he's most curious about is Garrett Wilson. So let's get the Garrett Wilson start uh, scouting report first, Stephen. Uh, true freshman. You know, Ryan Day was sort of asked generally about how the early enrolled true freshman looked, and the two two names that always pop first with that question are Zach Harrison and Garrett Wilson. I thought Zach Harrison, like at times, just he doesn't look as good in the drills as the other guys do because, like, he's never done these drills before. So, like, you can tell. It's like if you would have said, point to the guy who's never done this before, it would have been, like, that tall guy who looks like a superior athlete who's, like, tripping over the bag. It's like, yeah, that's Zach Harrison. So what did Garrett Wilson look like, look like on the offensive side? Garrett Wilson hasn't done these drills before. Um, now, he wasn't the best in these drills. That was clearly Chris Olave. Um, but he wasn't the worst. I mean, he had a pretty solid day for it to be his first day in practice at Ohio State. Uh, he didn't really do anything that was like, wow, oh, my God. Like, nothing like what he did in the All-American game where it was like, yeah, this kid's going to be special at the college level. But, you know, he was solid for it to be his first day, which is why I go back to the, what's his development going to look like over these next 
13 practices that we that they have because I mean, right now he's not good, but he's not great. You know, he's just kind of all right, solid first day. Let's build on it. It's sort of the same way that, you know, just a lot of the, the, the first-year guys kind of had that same thing where it was, okay, you, you weren't good, but you weren't great either. You were just kind of, you know, it was a solid first day and something to build on. And you know what all those guys had in common, Stephen? A body. No matter how it looked, how long it was, how skinny it was, or how thick it was, they all had bodies. Uh, Eric also asked, what did you observe from the coaching staff? Did Ryan Day command the practice and roam around like Urban did? Ryan Day said that he had to sort of like make himself roam around. His instinct is to hang with the quarterbacks. And he didn't feel super roamy to me. Again, I was sort of watching defense the whole time. I didn't really see him a lot. Um, but the, th- the thing that's interesting, and I'm just curious how this is going to all shake out, it's like, Last year, once they went to the 10th assistant, like if Urban wasn't roaming around, it's like, well, Greg Schiano was the head coach of the defense, and he didn't have a position group. Again, Greg Madison just looked like a linebacker's coach to me today, and that was only – we only saw it for an hour. You can make a lot of assumptions that are wrong based off seeing a, a portion of a thing and not the whole thing. But if you would have said, like, point to the defensive coordinator – from watching practice, I would not have been able to do it because I didn't see Greg Madison do anything other than coach one of the linebacker groups. He was not with Larry Johnson when we saw him. He was not with Matt Barnes and Jeff Halfley in the secondary when we saw him. He was splitting the linebackers with Al Washington, whereas Greg Schiano, I felt, was much more of a roamer last year. So maybe Urban's Roman offense, Greg Schiano's Roman defense, Bert Urban was also going out of his way to make sure he roamed enough. I think I think there's some roaming that this uh, coaching staff needs to work on. This is a great question from Ice, Mikhail underscore Ice. And I want to acknowledge Zach Kaminsky, who said Baron Browning is the guy he's most curious about. The guy has all the physical tools to be a three-down linebacker in the NFL. Hopefully he puts it all together this fall. Amen, Zach Kaminsky. But uh, Mikhail, M-A-K-Y-L-E underscore Ice. The week one starting linebacker should be whom, and can you name the five best NFL draft prospects on the roster right now? I'd assume Chase Young is one, but who else is really good? God, that's a good question. Because it's like you start dipping down into, like, like Zach Harrison? You know, like, like where do you go with that? That's my thing. Like, is it for the 2020 draft? Or just period? Um, that's a hard one. Uh, just a the quick tidbit on Ryan Day. Every time I, like, would go – to look for where, see where Ryan Day was. I saw him with the quarterbacks, which, to be honest with you, these first two or three practices might not be a bad thing because you, know, you are the only one who, like, fully knows this offense in that room. So, like, if he spends a little bit more time with the quarterbacks than maybe he needs to, that's probably not a bad thing to start out with. Now, if by practice 10 he's still just kind of hanging around the quarterbacks and not really, you know, overseeing the entire practice. And that's probably a problem. But since you are the only person that in that room that really knows his offense, I'm not, I don't think it's such a bad idea that he hangs around the quarterbacks a little longer than he needs to. All right. Here's my five. Obviously chase is one. Nick Bosa was asked about chase. I think Bill Rabinowitz asked Nick Bosa about chase at the combine. It's like chase, Chase is going to be there next year, like in the conversation as a top 10 pick. So it's obviously Chase. I think my other four would be Jeffrey Okuda, who I think could be in for a huge year and I think checks all the boxes you want physically from a corner. And, again, I think is a super smart, hardworking, great guy. Malik Harrison, who I think also could pop 
uh, as an outside linebacker, as a modern NFL linebacker this year. Um, I think Chris Olave, like just what the upside is at that receiver spot, I think is super interesting. And then I could throw in Jordan Fuller. I could throw in uh, Garrett Wilson there. Um, JK certainly in the mix, but I think my, my fourth guy, if I'm going to go Okuda, Olave, Harrison, I think my fourth guy would be the other Harrison. I would go with Zach Harrison just because if you are a physical specimen as a young defensive end and Larry Johnson gets his hands on you, I like your chances. Is there anybody that I didn't I didn't name that you're like saying, what about this guy? Yeah. Um, from... <laughs> I don't, from a physical standpoint, I don't see anything that Chris Olave has that Garrett Wilson doesn't have. Um, the only difference is we've seen Chris Olave do it at this level, and that's just because he's a year older than Garrett Wilson. But from a physical standpoint, I don't see anything where, like, with Zach Harrison, like, those physical tools he has mixed with the fact that, like, he's going to get coached by Larry Johnson for the next three years of his life is why we're, you're saying that. Well, I don't necessarily see any physical tools from Chris Olave that Chris, that, Garrett Wilson doesn't possess as well, so I'm going to throw him in there. Um, I'm not going to put Fields in there yet because that's just a whole different conversation when you're talking about quarterbacks. You kind of have to see what they actually do. I agree with Malik Harrison. Um, I think Fuller can have a Draymond Jones-type season where he can play himself into a first or second-round pick depending on how good or how bad he is this season. Um, I believe in Dobbins. I'm start. I'm like I. I we we've had this conversation a couple of times about well, you know the fact that he's going to get that many carries and stuff like that. I, I think he's going to have one of those types of years where like if Mike Weber's a third round pick projected this year, I think J.K. Dobbins could easily go in the be a second round draft pick. Yeah, I don't think he's a first rounder, and I think the a lot of the guys we're talking about are, are potential first rounders. I like J.K. I'm really curious to see what happens with Mike Weber. Um, Mike Weber had a lot of people say some nice things about him at the combine. He's an interesting. He clearly ran fast. Um, I just have. I still wonder about like Mike Weber, like change of direction when there's not a big hole, finding a hole, squeezing every yard out of a play. I mean, he's dropped some spin moves and stuff last year. Mike Weber said like I don't know why people sleep on me, and then I feel like I I am a sleeper. I am a Mike. I am a sleeper on Mike Weber. And maybe he's going to throw it right in my face. Um, but I'm super curious to see what, where Mike Weber goes. And then, I, like, I don't know what J.K. is going to run. You know, like, Mike Weber ran fast. Um, I don't know what J.K. is going to run. But I think J.K. at his best is a powerful guy who can squeeze through a hole and get an extra yard or two every time. So um, I, I wouldn't put him in that top level because I think a lot of the top, top guys, when you're talking about Ohio State, you're talking about guys, can they be a top 15 pick? And I think if you're, to me, Jeffrey Okuda at a premier position, Zach Harrison at a premier position, Chris Olave with what he flashed last year, um, Chase Young, obviously, that's the kind of stuff you're talking about, like not just first rounder, but top half of the first round. Want to acknowledge the Clayton Kindred question. Any chance Master Teague works his way into a rotation with Dobbins, even if it's something just like 80-20, and pushes DeMario to only third downs and passing downs? I mean, I think we're just we're just in on the Dobbins is the guy and and I don't I don't I don't think we call it a rotation. It's like if Dobbins needs a blow because he's tired, maybe Master T gets in for a couple carries, or Master T gets in and blowouts. But but my expectation, the way Ryan Day talked about it, is that when they are playing in games that matter and the game is in doubt, J.K. Dobbins is the running back, like unless he's too tired. So I think rotation is out of the 
out of the vocabulary at running back, and then you're talking about situational. If Demario can give you something on third down, or Demario can give you something in a in a certain situation, maybe they're in there together at times. I love split backfield looks out of the spread when it just it offers something different, and a team doesn't know exactly what you're going to do. If you put Justin Fields back there with Demario on one side and J.K. on the other, but but I think I, I just think rotation is not the word we're ever going to use. It's oh, Master Teague's given. JK a blow or look they put in DeMario for a situational thing um, it just I, I, I think that's what we learned I think maybe of all the things we learned today Steven it's the thing that you asked about that it, it pushed us towards that understanding that that is absolutely how Ryan Day um, is, is going to be thinking about this going forward and I think we already talked about it so I'm not going to give you the microphone Simi can't stand your bits, Junior, at Nobby Kanky's four. That seems like a naughty name. I think I said that before. What's the last movie you saw in a theater? Creed 2, I think. It was either Creed 2 or it was Solo. Which one came out? Whichever one came out. It was Creed 2 or Solo. Whichever one came out, like, last. It was the last one I've seen in the movie theater. I thought Solo... Stunk, yeah. I, I like. Uh, I was annoyed by that version of Han Solo. I'm not gonna say it sucked. I think of like the the you know the branch off Star Wars movies. I like Star Wars. And I like comic book movies, guys. So like, I'm all for that type of talk. I think. I don't. I'm not gonna say it sucked, but it wasn't like. It's not my top five you know Star Wars movies of all time. I'll say that. I can't remember the last one I saw because I normally just go to like animated movies with my children because I like to sit in the dark and eat popcorn. But I like animated movies. But I did. There was a night where my wife and my older daughter went to see Bohemian Rhapsody. And I didn't want to see that. So my younger daughter and I, we went and saw First Man, which is the Neil Armstrong movie about going to the moon. So we're in the theater. We're watching a movie in Ohio about the first man on the moon who's from Ohio. And we come out of the theater. There's probably only 50 people in the theater. And we come out and guess who one of the people was that was in the theater with us in Ohio watching a story about the first guy on the moon who was from Ohio. Then we get out. John Kasich had been in the movie with us. So we watched a movie in Ohio about the first man on the moon from Ohio with the governor of Ohio. So then my daughter got a picture with him. He seemed he seemed briefly annoyed that I was bothering him, but then he was very nice when it was uh, my daughter. And I went. That's usually what happens with celebrities. They're all annoyed until a kid gets involved. And generally, people in general, even if they're not famous, are just generally annoyed with me. So that was not a surprise uh, reaction. Um, what's your technique to sneak candy into the movie theater? Mine is to put it in my wife's purse. And I've explained this before, and people yelled at me that they think I'm stealing popcorn, but we take water for the kids. We take extra bowls so we can split, like, the large popcorn, like, four ways and then get a refill, and we'll throw some candy in the bag too. I, I'm not going down the hole. If, if, uh, if you think that I'm stealing popcorn because I bring extra bowls and we split the large and then get a refill, like, I don't want to hear it. Like, I, you've expressed yourself. The people who think I'm a popcorn thief have made their views very clear. We are not here to revisit that, but Simi was asking about movies. Um, 
Charlie McQuillan at Y-Town Westsider says, Doug and Steven, please explain the press access to spring and fall practices. How much do you actually have access to see and talk with players and coaches? Steven, you experienced that for the first time today. How would you describe it? Okay, so I walked in. It was like 8.20 a.m. I didn't get any coffee today, so, so it was rough. But we get there. Um, they start practicing, warming up, you know, doing all that, all that sports stuff. Um, for the first um, three periods, and in football they do these things called periods of like four or five minutes long where you do, you're in a section doing a drill or whatever you're doing for that four or five minute session of like the practice. And for the first three periods of the practice, we were able to take videos, take pictures, yada, 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 do all that great stuff. After that, they tell us to put our phones away. Every so often, I feel like someone's going to try to sneak a picture when they shouldn't have snuck a picture. And I mean, that's part of life. And after that, well, we were in there for, what, nine periods today? All right, so, yeah, nine periods, So which is pretty much like boils down to about an hour, hour 15 minutes is how long we were in there. We got a chance to observe practice and see exactly what's going on. And then they kick us out. They do the rest of their practice. And then Ryan Day comes in. We talk to Ryan Day. That usually goes for about 25 minutes or so, depending on how long his questions are and how many people have questions. Um, then after that, we meet with players. Today we met with J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Cooper, and K.J. Hill. And so there's media scrums all over the place, which means there's just a whole bunch of journalists with their phones out in the faces of 18 and 19 year old kids. And so that's how that broke down. Yeah, so we're getting to watch a little more practice with Ryan Day this spring. I think there's four we get to go. We get to see the whole uh, practice today of student appreciation. It's like when they let the entire student body in to watch a full practice and they let the reporters in too. I wish we could see more. Um, they're always a little more lenient at the beginning of a coach. Um, and then they cut back as the coach gets established. It just helps you be smarter about the team when you watch stuff. They're very, I think, wary of like people reporting um, on injuries or trick plays or just like the normal development of guys. And sometimes if you have young guys getting beat and it's like, oh, this guy looked terrible in practice today, and it's just like a normal development process. I get it. I, I hate the I hate the stuff of like. You can watch practice, but like you can't use any of the information that you get by watching practice, which is how some NFL teams do it. I think that's kind of stupid, but I think there's a middle ground where you can sort of reach an agreement of like, listen, we're not, we get that you're letting us into your private, private situation. We're not going to give your secrets away. We're not going to be, um, unfair, uh, to any of the players involved while we're trying to learn about the team. But as Stephen and I were talking earlier today, it's like the best thing that can happen in practice is you watch, you learn, you observe, you absorb. And then when you have interviews afterwards, you then go talk to the players and say, hey, I saw this happen. What did that mean? It looked like you were working on this. How did that go? And your questions are so much more informed because you, you know, oh, man, Alex Trebek has pancreatic cancer. That stinks. I always say, as people are always like, what's your phobia? Like, what are you afraid of? I always say pancreatic cancer. People are like, I'm afraid of a snake. I'm like, a snake's not going to kill me. Why, like, specifically pancreatic cancer? Because it gets you so quick. Like, it's usually it's diagnosed so late that, like, it's really hard to deal with. I don't mean to be that crassly. I mean, it's just like I hate when I see. There's a lot of famous people who have gotten it. Um, ugh, hate it. Hate it. Hate it for Alex Trebek and anyone else who's ever dealt with that. 
Um, but I just think it, it makes it, uh, it makes you smarter. It makes us smarter, which makes you guys smarter. Hopefully as we write your stories, when we, when we get to see what we're talking about, rather than just like asking people, Hey, how did it go? Oh, you thought, you thought you guys threw, threw the ball well on third down. Well, now I'm going to ask about that. When you can just see it yourself, it makes a difference. Chris McKee says his main guy he's curious about is Matthew Baldwin. If the Buckeyes needed him to play, how is his arm? What was your read? Every, everyone's watching Justin Fields today. What was your Matthew Baldwin read today? Look, Matthew Baldwin's a solid quarterback. He's just not the best option for Ohio State. He can throw it a little bit. Obviously, Ryan Day was really high on Matthew Baldwin before the whole Justin Fields thing happened um, last year. You know, Matthew Baldwin was going through a rehabbing an injury that he suffered in high school, so we didn't. He really wasn't a part of like he didn't get a lot, any really reps. But Ryan Day was high on him. He pulled him away from Colorado State. Um, but you know, he's just not. From a talent standpoint, he's not anywhere near as talented as Justin Fields is. But he's a solid quarterback still. And I think if Justin Fields hadn't showed up and this would have been a battle between Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin, it would have been an interesting QB battle to see who would actually would have won that. But he's just not the more talented option. And that's really pretty much what this comes down to with Matthew Baldwin. This is a great question. I want to acknowledge our, our man, Nikki Unders, who says the guy he's excited about and curious about is DeMario because of the excitement in Doug's voice when he talks about DeMario. Dell at Buckeye Dell says, um, what's the list of Buckeyes that we as fans were cheated of watching for one reason or another for an additional season? Meaning like uh, like Nick Bosa stands out. I was just like talking to Nick Bosa at the combine about like, man, you just did not get to put a lot on film. I feel cheated on Nick Bosa because he rotated for two years, and then the year when it's like you don't have to rotate anymore, you can be on the field a lot. He played for two and a half games, so so I think there's a there's a big what if of Nick Bosa of could he have put up a sack mark um, last year that maybe would have broken some records. He, he's definitely a guy at the top of the list for me. Um, Dell says Malik Hooker, Nick Bosa, Maurice Claret. You know, there's some guys who are like a one-year starter, and Steven is saying, shut up, old man. Give me the microphone. So I'll let you go first, and I'll get mine. Maurice Claret, 100%. Like, without question. I think, obviously, he made some horrible decisions and probably listened to the wrong people on some things. But what he was able to do in one season as a, as a freshman was amazing. And let's just think of what that might have looked like two years from now from that moment when you know he's probably a favorite to win the Heisman and then he's probably a first round pick in the NFL draft. I think first of all anytime you have a 30 for 30 made on you the what your what if is automatically top notch and top billing. Nick Bosa, yeah, we got robbed of probably a record setting year from him, but like we knew what he was capable of. Like we we saw what he was capable of. We just never got a chance to see it at its like Without any, we never got a chance to see it without interruption. Maurice Claret, we got to see it at a very young age, but we didn't get to see it fully developed at 21 years old instead of just 18 years old. So, yeah, Nick Bosa's a what if, but that's just for a record books what if. I think Maurice Claret's a real what if because we never got to see what that looked like developed. We just got to see what it looked like raw. Steven, you said today that someone told you that you like roll away and like sh shake around too much in the videos. And, and there in that moment, you were shrugging so much of like, you know, like, like we didn't get to see Maria's Claret, like shrug your arms to the point that the microphone moved away from your mouth. You cannot, 
help yourself. I can't. I don't know why. And when I develop this like thing of like being that animated with my body, I promise you guys, I am working on it. I'm not doing it right now. So yeah, it's a constant work in progress. I'm developing. Justin Fields and I, we're going to go through this process together of, of developing our skill sets. Him as a quarterback and me as a talker into mics. But you know what? I'm not worried about it. You know why? Because your body is your body. You know, like what are you going to do? Human form. Um, I would say I, that when you think about the idea that two unbelievable talents at quarterback in recent Ohio State eras had their final seasons ripped away under crazy circumstance, not by plan, but that Ohio State fans did not see Terrell Pryor at quarterback as a senior because of the NCAA scandal and his decision to leave early for the NFL supplemental draft, and that we did not see Braxton Miller play quarterback as a senior because of the shoulder injury he suffered in the Orange Bowl and then re-aggravated in preseason camp. That, that we thought, you, everybody thought, they didn't go pro. I mean, I would have loved to see Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore start at Ohio State for more than a season. But that's just because it took them two years for injuries and development and whatever to get on the field. And then they were so good, they left. This was Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor at the peak of their powers, not deciding that they were done at Ohio State, but being that decision being forced upon them that they were done playing quarterback at Ohio State. So the idea of what those guys could have done when you when you think about what Troy did, what Troy Smith did as a senior when he was at the in the full full range of his skills, all the things he could do as a runner, but the way he progressed as a passer and pulled it all together, he won the Heisman. And when you think about Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor, they finally got to the point they knew more than they ever knew. They'd run those offenses. They knew everything that was happening on the field, and they were going to be smarter and more confident than at any point in their careers on top of their unbelievable athletic skills. I mean, it just you just would have loved to see it. And, you know, I would have loved to see another year Dwayne Haskins too. But, again, that was a choice. It was Ohio State's choice not to play Dwayne Haskins earlier, and it was Dwayne Haskins' choice to leave. When these guys have things happen out of their control, I think. And, again, Maurice Claret, you're right on with that. That makes it a little more like, oh, man, because you always wonder because it wasn't, it wasn't a decision. It just happened. Shaq Harrison was the guy with the question. Very curious about Josh Proctor. This is, <laughs> is he a ball-hawking safety or more a hard hitter? Josh Proctor's dad. He's both. Loved it. Um, Josh Curie, always great questions. Who's got more pressure to get the Buckeyes to the college football playoff? Justin Fields or the entire Buckeye defense? Also, I'm curious to see if Justin, if Garrett Wilson can leapfrog some of these older wide receivers. Uh, this could be an interesting receiver battle. I think they're going to end up in a rotation. I, I think there's a, if you ask me today, I think it's going to be a six man rotation. Mack and Victor at one spot, Olave and Wilson at another spot. Hill and Gill at the other spot. And I did do a video a couple springs ago about Booker and Hooker, about I thought they could be like a buddy cop show, Hook and Book, Book and Hook. Um, and so Hill and Gill is wide open for possible stuff. Um, but, if I mean, if, if, if in terms of Garrett Wilson leapfrogging, I don't know that he has to leapfrog. I think he can leap right in. But would you disagree if I'm saying those six – 
that Victor and Max share in the same spot they shared last year. Now all of a sudden Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon shared a spot. They're gone. I'm now putting Olave and Wilson at that spot. And then Jalen Gill moves into the Paris Campbell role. Would you disagree with that? No, I don't have a problem with that. Um, no, I, I don't see a problem with – no, that's, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. That's a lot of talent with Olave and Gary Wilson just to be rotating it, though. Not necessarily have it on the field at the same time. Well, I mean, but, you know, I mean, they rotated K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell and got them on the field a little bit together. But, but um, you know, I mean, the X and the Z receiver spots are different enough that I think, you know, you want a guy to be able to lock down. Now, Terry McLaurin last year, when Austin Mack got hurt, they didn't put Chris Olave at Austin Mack's spot. They slid Terry McLaurin from one receiver spot to the other and put Chris Olave where he was comfortable. So Terry McLaurin could play anything. Terry McLaurin, if you said you needed an H-back rep from him, He'd be up for it immediately, but um, but there's enough differentiation that I just think that might make sense. And I don't know; they can still move guys around. Um, but Mac and Victor have shared that spot before, so I think I think a lot of that might make sense. But I think that's a good, you know what? Like Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon were like almost never on the field together. Paris Campbell and KJ Hill were like were almost never on the field together. So maybe you live in a world where Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave like aren't on the field together, but then you know what that means? It means one of them one of them always is on the field. And that's a pretty good thing too. We actually got through all of our Twitter questions, which makes us great podcast hosts, regardless of what some people might say. And we are a minute, an hour and 20 in. We're going to get to some Gmail questions. Um, but first, let's run through some reviews. We have exactly 800 ratings on iTunes at the moment. 713 of them are five stars, which means 87 of them are not. We'll go from Ben730, who I, who I tweeted a, a, a negative comment the other day. And whenever I tweet a negative comment um, about Buckeye Talk, it's a cry for help. It's a cry for help. And I think Ben730 responded. He said, Stephen and Doug are fantastic hosts that love what they do. They're biased enough to not upset the fan base and also objective enough to keep us honest. It can be tough being a Buckeye living in SEC country. He's in Tennessee. But this pod is a home for myself and Buckeyes all over the country. Thanks for all the hard work, Ben. Thanks, Ben. CML3309 had a really long post. It's also very nice. Um it says part two. You know, I couldn't find part one though. So it, it's a it's it's basically the review is just talking about Ohio State football, which is great. Um, so so three stars from Jay Freeze forty. Not as good as once before. Could be because it's the off season, but the Justin Fields episode just seemed like two people who like Ohio State talking to each other didn't learn anything. <laughs> like I was like, well, I mean, it is that. But I also get the point about not learning. We want you to learn, and I apologize if you didn't learn. Ran out of patience. Shaquille Oatmeal, which I have to acknowledge the name. Uh, one star. I have been a loyal listener of this podcast since its inception. I don't think I have ever missed an episode. However, ever since Doug started to focus more on Cleveland Brown stuff, I love this part. Because apparently he is too cool to be covering Ohio State now. And Bill and Ari have left. The quality of this podcast has gone way down. I feel bad for Steven because I think he is a genuinely nice and cool person, but I feel like always being critical of Ohio State is a requirement to work work for Doug, by the way. Just remember who buttered your bread because it's sure not me. 
So oftentimes I feel like Stephen is having to agree with Doug's negative hot take on Ohio State because he's afraid of going against Doug. Also, he didn't learn anything. Uh, then he hates us. So, um, so he says, if and when it does get back to what it was, then I will come back and change my rating back to five stars. But until then, deuces. So do you feel pressure to agree with my negative hot takes? No. Here, hold the microphone. I feel like I disagree with you quite a lot on some things. Now, there are some things that are pretty like common knowledge that I'll probably agree on, but I'm going to make it a point to disagree with you on some things now just for the sake of it. I don't know what yet, but I'm going to find some things to disagree on you with just like to make a point that like, hey, I can disagree with this man every single time. You disagreed with me when I said that the human form is beautiful. You disagreed with that. You said you said bodies are different. Um, one more one more review I wanted to get to. Too much blah blah blah. Two star from Greg seventy five. I like some of Doug's insights into Ohio State football, but tire of the discussion about his health. Monotonous discussion about where he is broadcasting. The fart smells in his basement, etc. Doug just likes to hear himself talk and is trying to be funny. It's not. Get to the point. No one wants to listen to a two-hour podcast. Can't disagree. Can't disagree with that. Um, I like talking about my body because it's a human body and it's beautiful. Um, All right. We're going to get to some uh, Gmail questions. Again, you can always tweet us. The best thing, if you want your Twitter question to get on, is usually on a Tuesday – Stephen or I will tweet out a call for Ohio State questions, and then the other one will retweet it. If you respond to that tweet, that is how we go through the list uh, and keep track of the questions, and we, we work off that list. Um, so if you really want to be on, we want you to be on. That is the very, very best way to get on. Another way that you can get on is by emailing us at BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com, just like Sam Spiegelman did. He said, you guys talked a lot about how Justin Fields might not live up to high expectations next year because it's his first year starting. You talked a lot about how Kyler Murray's first year as a starter was a lot different than Justin Fields. But you didn't mention how Trevor Lawrence, who was ranked pretty much equally to Fields as a recruit, won the national championship. Considering that coming out of high school, Fields and Lawrence were considered to have similar talent levels, do you think that a similar result is at least possible? We actually did talk about Trevor Lawrence some because we talked about how Ryan Day referenced Trevor Lawrence. And so my main point, and I think probably I hammered the Kyler Murray point and not the Trevor Lawrence point, but my main point on that was well, just making sure you have the right context of comparisons Someone had pointed out Kyler Murray as a comparison. I'm saying that's a poor comparison because it's not only about being a first-year starter because everybody's a first-year starter at some point. Um, It's where it happens in your career, at what point, what you've learned, how long you've been there. Listen, Johnny Manziel won won the Heisman in his first year starting, right? I mean, like Trevor Lawrence, what he did last year. um, We talked about some other people. Jameis Winston did it very early in his career. It clicked right away, but Ryan Day was saying how they worked Trevor Lawrence in slowly. They, they gave him the tools. Where they didn't put it on him right away. And then by the end of his true freshman year, he led them to a national championship. So, like, is Trevor Lawrence possible? Yeah, but I also don't necessarily want to point to, like, every single first-year starter who won a national championship and be like, see, Justin Fields is going to do that. And to also be fair, Jameis Winston was a redshirt freshman, which means it was his first year as a starter and his first year actually being on the field, but it was his second year in the program. And the same thing with Johnny Manziel. These guys had been in the program for a year, even though they weren't on the field. 
Justin Fields is a first-year starter. He's also a true sophomore, and he's in the first year at a brand-new place. It's not like he's – had he not gotten eligibility and he had to sit out a year as a redshirt and then was coming in, then, okay, those comparisons are pretty good because even though he wasn't playing, he was redshirting and learning the system still. He wasn't learning the, He wasn't learning the system here last year. He wasn't even here last year. And so the Trevor Lawrence one is a much better comparison because they are going to have to work him in slowly because like Trevor Lawrence, Lawrence, he wasn't here last year. He wasn't in this system. He didn't have a full year to learn the system before he got on the field. So, I, you know, I, I said in that podcast, come back in 2020, you won't be talking about Justin Fields as the Heisman favorite and leading Ohio State potentially number one preseason team, that kind of thing. So I'm not going to apologize for having questions about a guy who's never played before. Um, but I could be wrong, too. But it, but but a lot of this is, is a little bit of a pushback against any kind of assumption that Justin Fields is automatically going to be great and ready to lead them to a national title or lead them to the playoff because, look, Trevor Lawrence did it. I know. I know Trevor Lawrence did it. Trevor Lawrence also had, like, the best defensive line in college football backing him up. Um, Trevor Lawrence has skill guys, right? I mean, you got that combine. They have five NFL defensive linemen at the combine from Clemson. So is this Ohio State defense going to be that level? Is this Ohio State defense going to be great? If you're going to if you're gonna win a, a national championship with a freshman quarterback, I bet your defense is awesome. And last year their defense wasn't awesome. So it's, it's, it's some component about Justin Fields. Let's not make assumptions. Let's not say he's definitely going to be awesome right away. But the other part of it is you've got to give this guy weapons, protection, and you've got to give him a defense because he cannot, no matter how good he is, he cannot do it by himself. And also the Big Ten is a better conference than the ACC. So <laughs> the competition that Justin Fields is going to face in October and November is a lot better than the competition that Trevor Lawrence faced pretty much up, up until the first round of the uh, college football playoff so there take that into consideration as well he shrugged again but then right after the shrug he got the microphone back to his mouth there so progress Progress. okay todd dockery jr on the email not a familiar name we welcome todd to the email process love the podcast i'm a loyal listener thanks for listening todd why are you guys so down on fields he's said to be deshaun watson 2.0 but you guys almost make it seem like he can't throw it all he may not be great early but the schedule starts out pretty soft so there is time like one of those things is, I, I think there's some dangerous games early and we're not going to do a schedule breakdown right now but i think cincinnati i think indiana there's some tricky games early there's not oklahoma there's not usc there's not miami there's not tcu there's not the traditional national power that they have there so that is a break um but i think the schedule is more difficult than people think and now i want to look up Deshaun watson stuff while i make steven talk i was literally getting ready to do that i think the schedule isn't as easy as it may look i think florida atlantic is obviously an easy game but after that uh, there are some losable games that are coming up on their schedule very, very quickly. I'm not going to, Cincinnati, I don't think they're going to lose that game. I don't think they're going to lose to Indiana. But after that, I think there are some games on their schedule that are very losable, especially if, like, his progression isn't where maybe they would hope it would be by that time. I'm not down on Justin Fields, okay? I've talked to enough people and done enough research to know that this guy's got the ability to be a once in a generation talent. But, uh, He's still in, he's still in 
inexperienced quarterback at the end of the day in a brand new system with a brand new passing game coordinator with a guy who's a brand new head coach. It's a lot of things that just aren't stable for Ohio State right now to just sit here and go, oh, yeah, this guy's going to come in here his first year and be a Heisman candidate. I, now, in 2020, 100%, I have no doubt in my mind that if he's 80% of what we think he can be in 2019, in 2020, he has to be one of the three favorites for to win the Heisman Trophy. But I just am not sold yet that a kid can come in here with this much brand new in one system and they're going to be a Heisman. He's going to be a Heisman candidate and they're going to be a contender for a national championship in 2019. Now he might go out there and prove me wrong. And I have no problem sitting here come December and saying, Hey, I was wrong about this, but like, I don't think there's anything like illogical about thinking that a 19 year old is not going to be at his best until his second year into the system. So the hard thing about this is too, is again, it's like, well, the, the best college quarterback of the last 10 years did it. Why can't Justin Fields do it? And, like, I get it. And I know that he's, like, he works out with Deshaun Watson. There's, like, a little triumvirate of Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, and Deshaun Watson all work out with Quincy Avery, and I get that. And, like, I, I think there are some reasonable – there's much more of a comparison, I think, between Justin Fields and, and Deshaun Watson than there was between Dwayne Haskins and Deshaun Watson. I love Deshaun Watson. I, I was very interested in the Browns. Drafting Deshaun Watson. After seeing Deshaun Watson at the, the playoff game against Ohio State and the way he handled himself, I loved the way he played. I loved the way he took shots and was fearless. And if he got picked off, he didn't care. He was going to come back in the next series and, and kill you. I thought for sure he'd be a really good NFL quarterback when some people had doubts about it. I remember when, when Ohio State had some interest in Deshaun Watson and they couldn't get him to, to reciprocate that interest. I, I'm a thousand percent in on Deshaun Watson. And if that's what this is, then my gosh, this is going to be a great two years for Ohio State fans. I'm just telling you, like, I, I just am nervous about the idea of, well, Deshaun Watson did it, Justin Fields is going to do it. I just please have an appreciation for how good Deshaun Watson is. As a thrower, as a runner, as a leader, you get around that dude, and almost instantaneously you feel something, that this guy has got it. And I think Baker Mayfield has that thing in a very different way, but some guys have that thing where everybody loves them. And I, I I am all in on Deshaun Watson. And I don't know Justin Fields. I don't think Ohio State knows Justin Fields enough to say, is he that guy? Because that's a component of Deshaun Watson's success. So, uh, if th great. Let's make Deshaun Watson comparisons. But let's not make Deshaun Watson assumptions. As a true freshman, he did not start right away. He won the job like in week four. He threw six touchdown passes against North Carolina in his first start. Then he got hurt. I think he hurt his hand. He played with an ACL tear at the end of the year. He kind of had a wacky end of a freshman season. And then his sophomore and junior seasons, he tore up college football. Should have won the Heisman, at least one of those years, maybe both. Um, I voted for him for the Heisman the one year. I know that. I love Deshaun Watson. Just like <laughs> – and we don't mean to relive the Justin Fields podcast. Please don't be disappointed in Justin Fields if he's not Deshaun Watson in year one. Like if that's if that's the thesis of my message, then that's what it is. Because I'm just telling you, Deshaun Watson is unbelievable. Second part of Todd Dockery, the starting linebackers should be Toronto Mitchell, Malik Harrison, and Baron Browning. Um didn't think tough. He doesn't think tough was great last year. Again, I think you're going to get a healthier tough. I'm not sure. I'm disagreeing with. I'm not. I think it's possible my dream linebacker trio is also Toronto Mitchell, Malik Harrison, and Baron Browning. Um, 
He says that Baron not playing more is laughable. I directly blame your guy for him, Doug. And we know who that is. I do too. I think Bill Davis mishandled Baron Browning for two years because he's too good to be this much of a question mark going into his junior year. Um, too much talent at any other school. He's a projected top 15 draft pick for 2020. I hope Baron Browning can get it back because I, I, I want I want Baron Browning to be good, and I think Baron Browning was frustrated last year, and I think a lot of fans were frustrated that, that he didn't do more, and I think he absolutely agrees with that. And I really, really, really hope we see more this year. Um, and I think we could, but again, the first day of practice didn't make me hopeful. Abi Joshi on the email. What do you think has a higher chance of happening this fall? Justin Fields wins the Heisman or KJ Hill wins the Boletnikov? His number one Buckeye is most curious about is Brendan White since it looks like he's converting. So we covered Brendan White. Which one you pick? Fields for Heisman or KJ for Boletnikov? KJ for Boletnikov, 100%. I don't, like I said, I don't see Justin Fields being a Heisman guy in year one. Year two, 100%. I have no problem saying that he would be a favorite for the Heisman in 2020. I think it's uh, uh, there's a lot of good receivers out there. I'm not sure KJ's a bit enough of a big play guy. He's too consistent. I don't know if he's going to put up. Like I didn't realize this. I did a, a story on Andy Isabella, who is a Northeast Ohio guy who's five eight, and played at UMass last year. Uh, he led the nation in receiving with 1,600 yards. He was a Blitnikoff finalist, one of the three Blitnikoffs finalists. He's five eight. He tied Paris with a four three one. Um, he had like 219 receiving yards against Georgia the second to last week of the regular season last year. Like he had an unbelievable year, but he wasn't a slot guy. He was an outside guy. A lot of people characterize him as a slot guy because he's short and white, but he was actually an outside receiver. Everyone thinks he's the next Wes Welker, Julian Edelman kind of thing. I think it's hard to win it in the slot. KJ Hill's going to make like a, a lot of like nine yard catches for a first down. I just don't know if that's going to win you a national award. So I think I might almost pick Fields for Heisman. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. But I think if Justin Fields is at his best, his best could win the Heisman. I think if K.J. Hill is at his best, I'm not sure his best can win the Boletnikov just because there's going to be somebody. There's going to be somebody on the outside who's going to have 1,700 receiving yards and be, I mean, Andy Isabella is not this, but be like a monster athlete. Be like a 6'5 guy who's crazy good. And I just don't know that K.J. Hill, because of his position and the type of player he is, I don't know that he can compete with that. I do. I think he can easily get to like 1,100 yards next year. Like without breaking a sweat, he had 885 last year. I don't see why he doesn't get to at least 1,100 this year, especially early on when like he's the only – you know, return receiver who's got like legitimate experience of consistently being on the field. I don't see why not why he doesn't get at least eleven hundred at bare minimum, even if he is a slot receiver, especially in the beginning. All right, we're gonna play trivia time. How many college football receivers in Division One had at least, had more than eleven hundred receiving yards last year? I know the answer. You take your guess. Had more than eleven hundred? Which is the number you just said you think he could easily get. So how many had more than that? More than that. Okay, I'll go nine. Twenty-one. So, so like, okay, I don't disagree that 
K.J. Hill could get to 1,100 yards. What I'm telling you is 1,100 yards is not going to win you the Bletnikoff. Okay, what's the closest? What's the like? What, what if? What's like the closest to 1,100 yards on that list? The closest, like who who almost got to 1,100 and didn't? No, no. Like what's the like meaning? Like if 1,100 is like number 10, obviously. If 1,100 is 22, what's 21? So 22 is 1088. 21 is 1123. There are so there are 11 guys. Rondale Moore had. 1,258 receiving yards last year. He was 11th. So the guys who were the finalists, you guys are getting some Boletnikov education. The guys who were the finalists for the, the three finalists for the Boletnikov last year, Andy Isabella led the nation with 1698. Also a finalist with Tylen Wallace of Oklahoma State. He was second with 1491. And then Jerry Judy from Alabama. He plays for Alabama. He plays for Alabama. He was number 10 in the nation with 1,315 receiving yards. He averaged 19.3 yards per reception, and he had 14 touchdowns. So I'm just telling you, like, there are a lot of freaks out there. Hakeem Butler from Iowa State, who is a guy that a lot of NFL teams are really interested in, really looked good at the combine. 60 catches, 13-18, 9 touchdowns. I'm just – I just – I mean, is K.J. Hill going to have 1,500 receiving yards? And part of it is, part of it's the slot. Part of it is they rotate. I'm going to guess that Andy Isabella, I'm not sure he played every snap at UMass last year, but I bet you he might have. Like I said, I feel like he'll get a bulk of these yards early on in the season. A lot of those guys play a little bit catch up and get used to things. I believe in K.J. Hill. K.J. M.F. Hill, go get that award. Nobody now don't characterize this as me not believing in KJ Hill. I feel like me telling KJ Hill that he looked like he was going to the NFL because he wore sunglasses to the beef bowl caused him to rethink his life and bring him back to Ohio State. Nobody loves KJ Hill more than I love KJ Hill. I just don't think I'm not gonna say he's not gonna be the best receiver in college football. They're just not gonna give him the award. Marlon Hopgood Doug and Steven love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Doug, I'm the guy that yelled Tim Spencer at the Hofbra House back in August when we were trying to guess the top rushers in OSU history. Nice to done. Marlon Hopgood is Justin Fields going to be our Deshaun Watson. Maybe just don't expect it. Um, Ryan Johnson. Parentheses ruckus. Hey, guys, love listening to your podcast here in Pittsburgh. Just saw that the Buckeyes just picked up the grad transfer from Rutgers. I know you have touched on the O-line being a trouble spot this year. Do you think we'll be, at least be able to provide fields with the protection he needs and create the holes needed for Dobbins to work? Essentially, do you think they can get the job done? So I think we started with offensive line. We're going to get to the end with offensive line. I, I am telling you this. Ahmed Youssef had just sent the third email. I have so much respect for you and the time you put in to emailing Buckeye Talk. We cannot get to your emails. There's four. Nope, sorry. There's five. There's, uh, I'm like, I'm so all in with your emails. I swear, maybe the week of, of no practice, we, we just are going to do the Ahmed Youssef Buckeye Talk and only answer questions from you because we respect how much time you put into this and we appreciate it. So that's what you should do. Like, sit, like how about you just send, like, you, I want him to, like, just, like, get them all together and get them all in, like, one document. And so that week, he can send that document with all of his thoughts and questions, and we can just go off of that document. So we don't have to search for him. Well, 
This is this is not on Twitter. This is on the email. So all his emails are stacked because he's replying to himself as he sends them to us. So I got him, man. You do not have to resend anything, Ahmed. We we got him. Um, so we appreciate it. We're going to end with Ryan. So so like overall, as we get into here's the, I guess as we get into November, Stephen, will there be issues with the offensive line, and to the point where you are questioning Ohio State's ability to win a tough game. And don't look at the schedule because it's not about who they play in November. It's about late in the season. By the time it matters, championships are won in November is is a headline that cliched people like to write. Will, at that point of the season, will there be issues with the offensive line or will they have figured this out? I don't think so. I think they'll they'll figure it out. I think it'll look ugly really early. Um, Thank God Justin Fields has legs. Because I think early on it's going to get look really, really ugly. But there were times this past season where it didn't look that good. But Michigan rolled around, and that was beautiful. That was literally art, how they handed off guys from one guy to the next guy to the next guy. They were working in unison by Michigan week. And I think that's what we're going to see this time around. Where Now, it might look a little uglier than it did last year just because of the inexperience there in comparison to last year. But I think by the time we roll around in November, it, things will look solid and look a lot better. And we'll look back on, man, they've come a long way since week one. I, the, the thing um, to keep in mind, I think, is that you figure they'll be better at left tackle because it's going to be the same guy and he's going to be a year older. So Thayer Munford as a junior should be better than Thayer Munford as a sophomore. I think both guard spots, they can be better. I think that if it's a Jonah Jackson, Wyatt Davis combination, I think that can be better than the Malcolm Pridgen, Demetrius Knox combination that played for most of last year. They're not going to, they're going to be, I think they, well, it's funny. Michael Jordan was a really good guard. I think he was an okay center. He wasn't a great center. Um, so could Josh Myers, who was a more natural fit at that position, be as good as Michael Jordan was last year? Maybe by November, but, but Michael Jordan, Made an All-American team as a center. I think he would tell you he didn't play at an All-American level. So I think they could be close at center. And then right tackle, Isaiah Prince was a senior, was a captain, was an important part of this team. He wasn't perfect. Um, could whoever wins that job, whether it's Brandon Bowen or Nicholas petit Fair or Joshua Allaby, be in range of what Isaiah Prince was by the end of the year? Yeah, I think they could. And then, as you said, Stephen, against Michigan when it mattered most, when it was probably the number one reason why I picked Michigan to beat Ohio State is because I didn't believe in that offensive line. They played unbelievably well. So if you go through and you think, yeah, I think there's the talent there for this group individually to be better in most spots, and Greg Sudrawa, the offensive line coach who got that performance out of them last year in November, can he do that again? Yeah, it's possible. But, again, I, I, I would say it the same way as we've been saying everything about Justin Fields. I wouldn't assume it. I think there's enough questions with this offensive line that I, I'd be a little nervous in the spring as they, we watch them work this out. But I certainly think it's possible by the, by the time it matters, they'll be in a very good spot. But I think I agree with you that you guys might see some stuff in September that's going to make you want to turn away, and I think it may cost them a game. I think it's possible that early on it costs them a game. The combination of a young quarterback and an uncertain offensive line with four new starters, that combination can lose you a game in September. doesn't mean Ohio State's a bad team. doesn't mean they're a bad program. doesn't mean they're out of the playoff can picture. But I think it can. I think it might bite them in a way that a lot of people don't expect. So it's only spring. We're talking about that stuff now, but we appreciate you guys listening. Um, read us this week. 
We get quarterbacks on Friday. We'll watch practice again Friday morning. We'll talk to Justin Fields and Matthew Baldwin, we assume, uh, after practice on Friday. We assume we'll get Mike Yursich, the uh, quarterback's coach, as part of that. Next week, Ohio State has on is on spring break. There will be no practices. We will still have stories for you. We will still have Buckeye talk for you. And then the week after that, they come back, and that's when we start having two and three availabilities a week. We'll be talking with guys uh, from all different position groups, not watching that many practices, but we'll have a lot to report from our interviews. So make sure you are reading Cleveland.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Stephen underscore means at Buckeye Talk Pod at Doug Maurice. And um, go ahead and drop those reviews. We will accept the reviews that we have earned, whether they are one star, whether they are three star, whether they are five star, whether they make us smile, or whether they make us curl up in a ball at one o'clock in the morning on our couch and question the life choices that we have made to get us to this point. So, Stephen, how do you think it worked with the microphone passing? I mean, we need two mics, I think, because like there's like, like sudden pause every time we need to pass the mic. I feel like... Someone's going to complain about that just because, you know, we live in a world where you know, there's always something to complain about. So I definitely see somebody writing a review where it's like, why does it seem like every two seconds there's this pause before somebody starts talking? I apologize for that. We're going to get another mic or we're going to figure this out. And one of those days I'm going to tell the dog story again, but not today. Well, we're only at 147. If you want to talk about your dog for five minutes, we could. Also, I would say... When Stephen says we will get it figured out eventually, I would like to point out that we are heading into the fifth year of this podcast and we haven't figured it out yet. So don't hold your breath. Okay, so what is this about? This is about how your uh, your family uh, just abandoned multiple dogs on the side of the road uh, for no apparent reason. Okay, so for the record, I was like seven years old when we had this dog. It wasn't like – like we weren't mad that the dog like chewed up the carpet or peed on the carpet. Like – it was genuinely just like I was a kid who was involved in a lot of different things the way like parents do with their kids. They get them involved in a lot of different things just to figure out what they like and stuff. And so we were just never home enough to actually responsibly train this dog. So instead of just having this dog roaming around the house, you know, and being irresponsible and neglecting the dog, we decided to no longer have a pet in the house. I love dogs. I don't have a problem with the fact that one chewed up my carpet. I was like seven, so I really didn't have any control over that would come this dog anyway. So I just wanted to like to make sure that was clear. Like I I know that like dogs like do things when they're puppies. So you are now into your apartment with your roommate, um, settling in here in Columbus. Uh, will you get a dog? No, I'm not home enough for a dog, and I don't think like I don't just don't think like we need a dog in the house. I think I'm going to get a goldfish though, just for the sake of like having like some type of life in the house and those are pretty easy to take care of you just pretty much put some food in it once a day and then you gotta clean the bowl out probably like once a month or something like that i might be wrong i've never had a fish but like just clean it out every so often but yeah we're not getting a dog or any type of like animal that like needs that type of constant care because like neither of us are like responsible to take care of another living being right that right now so in conclusion you still hate dogs and your goldfish is definitely going to die <laughs> your goldfish that's when you, please let us know when you get the goldfish, and we will start the countdown clock uh, on its life expectancy because I do not give that goldfish more than two weeks. What do you do? Throw, yeah, throw some uh, food in the bowl? I don't know. You clean the bowl every once a, once a month? You're good to go? Um, all right. So thanks, as always, to you guys for listening. You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe in another 10 years we'll get a splitter. Um, but for now, we passed the mic. We hope you enjoyed it. That was our Buckeye Talk from the first day of spring practice. Again, read our stories. We'll be back at practice on Friday, um, and then we'll be back next week uh, with the Ahmed Youssef 
um, version of Buckeye Talk with all his wonderful questions. So for now, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>